Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, we appreciate your listening. Um, I imagine if you've, you're here today, you've probably been here before. You may have heard my appeal last week, and I'm going to make one more appeal uh, for 2018. Um, Jew in the City is a nonprofit. I think we have a little bit of a misunderstanding. People sometimes just think that we're a blog and why does a blog need a budget? But um, we're more than a blog. Uh, we are a nonprofit that creates original content. Uh, the purpose of our content is to reverse the negative associations that people have about religious Jews. There's all sorts of Jewish outreach organizations out there. There's tons of Jewish education. We're the only organization that exists for the purpose of confronting the negativity that people have around religious Jews and confronting the negative associations they have around Orthodox Judaism. Um, and first, even though it's an uncomfortable thing to admit, we have to first admit the fact that there are these negative associations. Um, they come about due to two reasons. Um, for the people in the community that experience orthodoxy in a negative and abusive way, those are the people that have negative associations due to experience. Um, and there are people that are, you know, quote unquote, so religious their entire lives um, and never actually got to um, taste the beauty and the meaning and the positivity of their heritage because um, they were, you know, raised in a dysfunctional place. They were around, um, you know, extremists or unhealthy teachers or rabbis. Um, so this is, it's not a, you know, uh, the entire religious world, but for where it exists, um, it's, it's a serious problem. And um, we have Project Makom um, to counter this pain. Um, on the other side are the people that have their associations about Orthodox Jews and Judaism based on the stories that these people in this first group told. Um, these stories are um, fabulous for the media, for popular media, for um, headlines. Um, the media really can't get enough of these negative stories about Orthodox Jews looking, looking hypocritical, Orthodox Jews um, being, you know, crazy in some fashion. Um, and so we are here to both counter uh, the dysfunctional side and correct that, but then also to clarify to the masses what actually Judaism is, what orthodoxy um, is meant to be, what many Orthodox Jews actually are. Um, and we're the only or organization that does this. So if you go onto our website right now, um, you will see a banner that will pop up to support our annual campaign. And really, whatever you can give, we will be so appreciative because we can't do this without you. We spend all year looking for donors that can give us uh, larger contributions, but we also need the people that can, you know, send us a few dollars as well to be counted. Um, and it, we don't actually know who's even listening. I sometimes, you know, travel to different parts of the world and someone will tell me, oh, I listen. I actually have no idea to know if you're listening here, even for our readers, that they could just, you know, click the comment button on social media. A lot of times people don't. Um, you know, we, we worked so hard to put out great content and great messages for you and to benefit the Jewish people. And when you, you know, click on that donate button on JewInTheCity.com, um, you're giving us a way to know that you're here, you hear us, you're with us, um, and you're part of this. When, when you contribute financially, you're not just a, a bystander that's letting this happen, you're actually helping us, um, you know, continue with this mission. Um, and please, um, whatever you can give, be a part of this holy work because it's time that we um, really take ownership of, of who we are, both in terms of the crazy people that um, stole Judaism from 
innocent people, um, as well as the media narrative that has um, really associated us with horrible things as opposed to the beauty that everyone here listening today knows uh, we actually are. Um, and with that note, we're going to transition into a beautiful story. Um, it's actually uh, to be continued, a part two from last week's interview that we were conducting. Um, we have a couple named Ari and Ness Blau. They were both in Hollywood. They were both um, living the dream um, and then their their plans kind of changed. Um, they both spent years really um, dedicated to you know making it big in acting and in comedy. Um, and and then things changed for them. So where we left off last week, if you missed last week's show, I would recommend um, going back to listen to the beginning of Ari and Ness's story. But where we left off last week um, was that Ness um, had gotten her eyes opened uh, to Judaism. She got on a birthright trip. She'd always maybe had some. Um, a certain pull uh, towards her heritage, um, but she went on a birthright trip. Things really started to solidify for her, um, and she came back to L.A., and she started to make more of a commitment to her Judaism, um, both in terms of Shabbos and then in terms of Shomanagia, in terms of modest scenes that she was doing. She had just been signed by an agent that represents some major people, and she told him both of these things. She's not going to perform on Shabbos. She's not going to touch men. So, Ness, if you could now jump back in. Um, because we ran out of time last week, and I was really on the edge of my seat, and I'm looking at the clock, um, you know, counting down. So <laughs> so let us know. So this agent, you, you were shocked first that he was willing to work with you for Shabbos. And then when you said, I'm not going to touch men, he said, no problem. I have a Christian client that does the same thing. So, like, what happened next? So, um, first off, I want to say thank you again for having us on the show. Um, we appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we, we left off. Um, I was growing, like, ev with every day that was passing. I was learning and growing more and more. And um, the last straw was the Shomanagia thing. I, I started to realize that it, it just, like, wasn't going to work out and the manager, I told him, like, I'm not going on any inappropriate roles anymore. And he ended up being okay with it. And so I feel like Hashem left it in my hands. Like, it was a big nisayon for me to decide whether I wanted this or not. It was up to me because, like, the manager was willing to hold on to me and, and this um, working together. So spiritually, it didn't work out. And um, it was uh, December time, and it, we went on hiatus for the holidays. So, like, the industry was taking a break. And I decided, like, it's not going to work out. And Ari and I ended up, um, the agent and I, sorry, we parted ways. And then Ari and I ended up getting engaged, and we went on a trip to Poland with, the same group that took us to Israel, the LAJ group with Rabbi Alex Landa. Um, so um, from there, I'm going to give it to Ari to take over. Hello? Yeah, hi, Ari. So, okay, so, so um, Ness has just decided to part ways with Hollywood. Um, and... If you could let us know, like, where are you at this point? You're you're doing carpool karaoke. Um, you got some, you know, made it pretty big, and your Judaism is is growing. So, 
Um, where are you in terms of your spiritual journey and your career? How, like, how are the two of them intersecting? So I, when I came back from uh, LAJ, the first trip with Rabbi Landa, uh, came back from Israel, um, I had already at that point been uh, coming to the understanding that I didn't want to work in the Hollywood industry writing comedy for a late night TV show and producing comedy for a late night TV show. Um, even a little bit before I went on Israel and before I started spiritually growing, just started realizing that there's something off with these celebrities and the more celebrities I would meet on a daily basis, I just felt like something was off with them uh, in terms of you know how they treat people, how they treat themselves, um, just the, the whole culture, um, you know, drugs, overdose, uh, divorce rate, um, and I would see how they act behind the scenes. But when I got back from Israel... I really made the concrete decision that if I'm going to live a real Torah life, um, I don't think I could I could work in this environment. Um, and it's a question that people actually ask me quite a bit now that I've left. Uh, they say, like, how come you can't write comedy and work for a TV show? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, you can't be from or you can't be religious and work in Hollywood, because I know, um, I know religious people who do work in Hollywood, but yeah. for me... The example I give is when I was at the Late Late Show, um, you don't get to, like, write or produce uh, everything that you want. So I can't just come in now and say, okay, well, so um, I don't want to write about that topic because that topic is inappropriate. Or that topic mm-hmm. involves me having to read about things that are inappropriate. Or the jokes mm-hmm. that you want from me are going to be inappropriate jokes that I don't mm-hmm. want to write. Um, mm-hmm. And those are the things that predominantly sell in Hollywood. So right. it was, um, it's kind of you either do it or they'll find someone else to. Right. And I decided that I didn't want to be a part mm-hmm. of it anymore. And also I, I was kind of, uh, I just felt like I wanted to find more meaning um, in a career and just in, in what I was doing. And I didn't feel like I was going to find that working for a late night TV show anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember going into the executive producer's office. Um, he's a Jewish guy, and I went into his office to tell him I was leaving and putting in my two weeks. And when I told him that my wife and I were getting married and we were getting, going to go spend a year in Israel and learn, I was going to go to yeshiva, he told me, Ari, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Mm. And so I asked him, you know, if you don't mind me asking, what, why is it the biggest mistake of my life? And he said that, you know, you're going you're gonna to give up everything you have right now at this point. You're like another promotion away, one more promotion away from a half a million dollars a year in salary. Mm-hmm. You're working with celebrities. You're at the Late Late Show. It's one of the most famous shows on TV right now. Mm-hmm. That, that's the dream. That's what everybody wants. And you're going to mm-hmm. go give that up and go learn Tyra? And it's masked <laughs> and said like Tyra. He did say like and, that, Tyra. Uh, what did you say? He he pronounced it Tyra. Yeah, he pronounced it Tyra, and then I knew that he was mocking it because then, like two sentences later, he said Torah. Right. So wow. that's I'm, I knew I'm that he was that he, like, like making... even knew that nuance of pronunciation. Go. Uh... <laughs> okay, he's, so he's and so actually, what did you say to that? He's Jewish, and he grew up, right. and he did go to yeshiva growing up. Um, he did go to yeshiva. So. Uh, what did you say? You said he did go to yeshiva growing up? 
Yeah, he he went to a yeshiva in London. So, oh, ooh, got it. Uh huh. Wow. So okay, so I, meaning I, in some ways, knows what Torah in some ways, someone in some ways someone that thought up close but didn't see that it was worth sticking on to probably has even more of a uh, little bit like a chip on the shoulder there. Um, got it. So then, so what did you say? So I told him, um, yeah, that is what I'm going to do. I am going to, you know, you're calling it giving up, but I'm going to leave this behind. And I thanked him for the last three years. And I said, but I'm going to go learn Torah because I need to build a foundation. And Mm -hmm. in order for me to be the best um, person that I could be and to be the best husband, best father one day, the best employee, best. Um, I need to find out what the Torah says. How should someone act in this situation? What does the Torah say about this? What does it say about that? And, and I never had that opportunity growing up mm-hmm. to build that foundation, so I, I wanted to go do that. And uh, he told me, I'll tell you again, it's the biggest mistake you'll ever make. You're never going to work in Hollywood again. Oh, what did he say? So You're never going like, to work in this town again. That's how they say it, right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. You're never going to work in this town again. And I mumbled under my breath, Amen. I hope that that's true. And and then I left his office. And then I went into James Corden's office. Mm-hmm. And and I knocked on his door and I said, could I speak to you for a moment? And I, at that point, I had become pretty close with James because I was working uh, with him on a daily basis, helping write his monologue jokes. So mm-hmm. I was in his office, you know, throughout the day and interacting with him Um very closely, so he said, sure, come in, Ari, what's going on? And I closed the door, and he sat down on his couch, and I sat down next to him, and I told him that my wife and I were getting married, and I thanked him for the time at the show that they gave me, and I said, I didn't tell him I was going to yeshiva in Israel to go learn Torah, I just said that my wife and I are going to take some time off and go spend time in Israel, and I said, we're going to go work on ourselves. I kind of just explained it like that, and he said, the first thing he said was, works on themselves like especially in hollywood who who just wants to like work on themselves you never i, I could tell he had never heard of like such a concept of like of like muster like just somebody that wants to just be a you know, better person be a better person yeah like um and then the next thing he said was i'm so jealous of you mm. and i was shocked that he said that because i was thinking like what does he have to be jealous of um mm. And he told me, which was unbelievable, he said, you know, I live in a $35 million mansion in Malibu, and I have everything that people want in this world. I get everything. And he said, the the more famous I've become and the more rich rich I've become, the less I pay for, which is true. There's many times where I would, like, be in his office and I would hear him call up a a restaurant to... You know, book a reservation, and these are places in Beverly Hills that you need like you know three, four months, you know, ahead of time to get in. And he says his name, and they clear out the place, and you know, right. they put the bill on the house, and yeah. you know, he gets cars sent to him, you know, handed to him. Please drive our car. Please wear the right. shoe. Wear these shoes. Yeah, everything is handed to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, but the one thing I don't have is time with my family. Mm. And He's got a wife, and he has three kids. Mm-hmm. And he said, I wish I could have more time with my family. I always mm-hmm. think I'm going to take off time and be 
be with them this month, or I'm going to tell my agent to schedule in time that month or this day. And it's just like one thing happens, and I book another thing, and I book a commercial, or I book a movie, and I have to do this, and I have that commitment. Mm-hmm. And the time goes by. Mm. So he said, so the fact that you want to take time to go just be alone with your wife is something I'm jealous of. I wish mm. I could do that. Mm. And uh, with that in mind, he kind of gave me, like I guess, like a bracha, like to go and do it, and he was happy for me. And the complete opposite of what the executive producer was feeling. Um, mm. And that was my my time at the Late Late Show. I, I put in another two weeks, and... Mm-hmm. And and actually, I think it was like my last week there, or my second to last week there, um, around that time, I mentioned before when you asked me last week in the interview about what got me into comedy, I had mentioned in, co- in high school I started watching Adam Sandler movies and really looking up to Adam Sandler um, and wanting to follow in his career footsteps. Mm-hmm. So Adam Sandler was coming on the show like the, like the last week I was there. He was mm-hmm. coming in for an interview, and he had a movie coming out. Mm-hmm. And I told my wife, "I like he's coming on." Like at that point, I didn't want to meet any celebrities anymore. I didn't want to be around them. But I said, "It's Adam Sandler. Like I have to see what he's like." Mm-hmm. So he came on, and and after he did the interview, I went to the green room and I asked if I could speak to him for a, a moment. And his agent said, "Sure, I could talk to him." And I was talking to him, and I remember calling my wife after the conversation and after the conversation when I when I called my wife I was in tears and I wasn't in tears because he was mean to me or because you know he was a horrible person he wasn't I was in tears because while I was talking to him I was I was shocked that I had spent so much of my life looking up to him thinking this is what you know a Jew should look like and this is what I want to be because the more I, the more I, he would tell me about what he was up to in life and what movie he's working on and how he's doing this and how he's writing that and working on this project, the more I realized that he's also another person. Like, when does he have time for his family? Right. And it just it just was like another reality check for me. Like, this isn't someone that I want to be like, and this isn't something that I want to pursue anymore. Um, and I don't want like the audience to think that I that I think that everyone in Hollywood can't make time for their family, because that's not true. There are people who do. Right. But I, I think that it becomes, because it's such an ego-driven industry, that people right. get sucked in, and they always want more and more and more. And that can happen in any career, and it can happen to anybody. But I think it happens a lot more in Hollywood. And, um, and so for that reason, and the other reasons I stated, I left. I mean, look, I think... Um there's, you know, depression and unhappiness in a lot of different fields, but if you look into the divorce rate and the, you know, drug usage rate and the OD rate in Hollywood, um, there does seem to be above average, um, you know, levels in this place. So, um, so then I guess the question is because, look, I've never actually been in this situation. Um, I dreamed of being in Hollywood, but I never actually, um, you know, took any steps to, to go in that direction and actually... I just have my own platform to use my creativity, which um, I can control the content. And, you know, it's really a huge thing. I mean, what you're bringing up in terms of uh, what types of jokes uh, you're supposed to be writing, it's it's 
quite it's a very good point so the i still want to sort of believe that like we're supposed to use this talent that hashem gave us so um do the two of you plan to um find a an outlet for the you know the talent that you have it's a great question um it's definitely something that like uh our rabbi tells us that um Hashem gives you a talent it's for a reason. Hashem puts you in a situation, it's for a reason. Um, for me personally, I think that um, I think that my wife and I were put in these, this situation uh, for my wife to spend so many years you know, working as an actress and for me to spend the time I did working as a comedian and to make it to where we did in our careers and then to leave it. I think one main reason is, um, is to share the story with people. Mm-hmm. Um, on platforms like yours, and in, in, in any way, you know, we've started speaking to yeshivas or seminaries or synagogues, um, just to get the, the word out there. Um, I think that's been uh, a, a, a good enough reason, uh, in our opinion, uh, to be put in that situation and to have mm-hmm. these talents, um, mm-hmm. to have gotten that far, to hopefully inspire people, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's to inspire people um, to maybe not pursue that career or to inspire them to really understand what Hollywood is or mm-hmm. to enlighten them about it, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of comedy, it's not like I've completely abandoned um, telling jokes. I might not make, it's not my parnasa at the moment, mm-hmm. but it's definitely something that like I still try to make jokes on a daily basis, whether it's making my wife laugh or, laugh or people. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not making money. I'm not opposed to, like, if there was a way to incorporate it maybe in a a, a kosher Jewish way, uh, maybe I would do that. But um, but right now, I'm I'm content that uh, with what with where I'm at, and and then and that's kind of where it is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, life feels different. I don't know. Hi. Um. So I agree with um. What Ari said, like, I feel like a, a main purpose for us to have gone through what we went through is, is to tell it over and, and really, like, show people what it was like. I still think, like, acting and theater and stuff um, can be very therapeutic, and, and people who put on from plays, like, they have something fun that they can do as a hobby, but it's the Hollywood industry as a whole that takes... Um, something that can be an art and, and turns it into um, everything that it is that's, like, not spiritual, um, competitive, egotistical. It just brings out, like, the worst in people, and it doesn't make it fun anymore. And um, I just felt like in, in my life, like, I was chasing, since I was eight years old, I was chasing this dream of, walking in somebody else's footsteps and, and always pretending to be someone else and, like, finding out what this character was like and, like, what does she eat, what does she dress like, who is she? And I was ignoring who I was as a person. And, like, all of my own moments in my own life were, like, just passing by as I was getting older. And right now I'm 30 years old. Um, and finally I... I as I became religious and I was growing, I was able to see, like, if I'm going to keep playing all these characters and playing other people, then who is going to be me? So mm-hmm. I, I want to have, like, 
my own moments. I want to walk in my own footsteps and and enjoy my own life, that, the life that Hashem gave me. And everybody in Hollywood is always after pretending to play another part. And so when I saw that and I finally realized it, why am I so afraid to just be myself? Why is everyone in Hollywood afraid to just be themselves? Um, I, I think people don't understand, like, who aren't, who, who aren't involved in the industry, that um, people in the industry, actors and a- actresses, they aren't even themselves, and they aren't even allowed to be themselves when they're not acting. They, they're they told where to go at a certain time, where paparazzi will be to take their picture, who they're allowed to date and be seen with, their friends, clubs they need to go to, parties, events. It, it's like almost like you're living a whole fake life from mm. the beginning until the end, and no one mm. ever knew who you were, and neither did you. Hmm. So why do we so worship this so much? Them. What what is why do people worship um this like fakery and phoniness? Um here are I, I it's something my wife and I talk about a lot. Um I mean I think that the best way to put it is is uh well my my Rosh Yeshiva, uh, at the Yeshiva I was learning at, Macham Shlomo in Israel, he said that it's very easy for someone to, like, believe, like, Sheker and to, like, go after it, unfortunately, because, because of, A, the, you know, the, the, the world, uh, you know, puts all of this stuff on TV um, and puts all of this stuff on the magazine. So it's what most people see, mm-hmm. but... But B, it's it's something that if you even just like take the shin and the kuf and the resh to spell sheker, they're all next to each other in the aleph bait. Mm-hmm. They're very close, mm-hmm. and so it's easy for someone to to buy into it. It's, it's right there. It's close. It's, it's near it. Mm-hmm. And when you take the aleph and the mem and yes, and the tes, and you put them together. They're they're spread out. The olive is in the beginning, mm. and the mem, and then the test at the end, mm. uh, and the tough and the tough is at the end, and then that's so spread out. So it's hard for somebody to see something that's so spread out. But he mm. said that emis, if you just look at the letters, they all have a base to stand on. If you just spell out the word sheker, they all stand on one foot. Mm. So I don't know. It's a thing to think about that. People are so fascinated, I think, by things that are just easy. It's easy. It's, it's it's easy for somebody to believe something that is false. They don't have to look into it. They don't have to research it. They just believe it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live like a life of integrity, I think, for people. Mm-hmm. Um, what what film and TV and the industry represent are a depiction of real life, and the word itself, depiction, is is fake. It's to mimic real life. But you mm-hmm. you can't mimic it when when it's already there, like it exists in itself. So mm. so, I think people become fascinated and obsessed with like the glamour of Hollywood and and the fame and the the riches and like just like they think they're watching someone's real life. They think it's true and it's not true, and mm-hmm. and that's it. Like basically, that's why like the most popular show on TV is the the Kardashian show. That's a reality TV show, but that's even <laughs> Scripted, like the things they do is scripted. 
my goodness. Well, we are actually out of time yet again. I guess this is a really popular topic and um, this is definitely giving me what to think about. I mean, I already knew that Hollywood was, you know, corrupt and shallow. I do. I'm generally a person that, you know, likes to believe that you can kind of have your feet in both worlds. Um, and I love the idea of using creativity. Um, but I, I definitely hear um, the the arguments that you're making, um, certainly as a new Vale Chuva to, um, you know, to get your footing. But um, I guess the question is, will be, you know, over time, if there is a way, if you feel the desire to to use these talents that you have, or, you know, if this was just uh, sort of a stage in your life and you can find other things, you know, to, you know, in terms of Parnassa, in terms of, um, you know, I mean, I think you've already found uh, the meaning um, to bring to your life. So, so it seems like you're certainly not short on that. Um, but I definitely want to thank you for uh, joining us twice now to uh, to share your stories. And it's definitely a lot for our listeners to uh, to think about. Thank, thank you. So you. Much. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, and thank you for listening. Um, you can catch us same time, same place next week. And remember, please get over to JewInTheCity.com to make an uh, end-of-year donation if you haven't already. Bye-bye.